Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Amazing, yeah? um, these uh, devoted booklets are not the guys at time, so want to make a booklet at all. Michael worked really, really hard with the team and, and to pull them together. These are trophies yeah. of our king. They are stories. Test me off the test me. If you haven't looked at them, please go look at them. They are 21 dev- devotional, there, but they're test me's and trophies of his grace and his goodness. And I, I want, I'm, I'm buying a whole bunch. I'm putting them in bathrooms. We got mates coming for dinner, unsaved mates. They're going in bathrooms. They're going everywhere. They're going to be at the door on the coffee table because I, I want people to encounter Jesus. And we said we'd do all of it if just one person, just one person encountered the grace and the goodness of our King. And there's nothing as powerful as a story, someone's life, someone transformation story, encountering the love of Jesus and walking into freedom and grace. That's why we want to see it's the privilege of doing life in community and gathering these things. Uh, we sang about chains being broken and, and, and on that cross, what Jesus did. This guy, two years ago, I remember a moment on a Friday night when this guy got up and confessed something to about 450 people in this room. And something broke. Not just in him, but something broke in this room of chains falling off. You could hear the sounds of freedom coming in chain. I want to tell you, find freedom in Jesus. Actually, can you close your eyes for a second? There are chains that need a break. You've got to activate faith. Paul and Silas in prison and Peter and Silas are in prison and they're there and just the angels have said, get up. We don't know whether the chains fell off while they were getting up before they go, but we just know that the chains fell off. What chains are holding you? If you've got chains holding you tonight, unforgiveness, brokenness, secret sin that no one knows about, I want to pray for you. And I want to see freedom come tonight. This is not about what I can do. It's about everything he is. I want to pray, even if it's just one person. I pray Jesus in this place right now. Your freedom. Your liberty. I pray for the covered up realities of life that we get so good at hiding. I pray, God, come. Come and bring life and joy and freedom. Expose the lies of the enemy tonight and shatter the chains that have held your men and women in bondage tonight. We pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We are doing the series Devoted. We're in week five. Um, and um, Tyler apparently preached really well. He told me last, which is great. Thanks, Tyler. Amen. Very nice shoes tonight as well, Tyler. Thank you. And... Um, but as we navigate and we've looked at um, this, this concept of being devoted, and Acts 2 gives us a description of this community, this powerful supernatural community that get pulled out of darkness, thrust into a story together called the gospel. They don't know about church. They don't know about meetings. And they didn't have projectors. They didn't have worship leaders. It's just Spirit of God is upon them. Salvation come. we got to do something together. It's beautiful. It's rough, it's raw, it's a whole bunch of things. And, and everything we see from that is beautiful. They, they jump into the story and says, all were taken care of well. It's like everyone was taken care of well. It says that um, God was highly praised, that everyone thought of them highly. Everyone was in awe of them. Not just the church in awe of each other, but the world around them were watching. They're going, something's different here. And then it says, people were added to their number daily. 
I think it's incredible. I, I think it's beautiful. I think it, it shows us, it keeps reminding us. And even when we get disgruntled, we get disillusioned, or we take our eyes off the bigger picture, we've got to throw ourselves back to the, perf- the potential that lies within the gathering of the saints in what he calls the local church. The fellowship of believers, that as we gather, there's potential. And we've seen, well, we want to grow. We want to call people to grow in the local story. We're devoted to grow. We're devoted to go in these stories. I want to speak tonight about a community that is devoted to care. Care. Just to care. We live in a world where people love to be cared for, but caring costs. To care for someone who's not well costs. I watched my mother take my grandmother into our home late, late in years and, and a whole bunch of difficult scenarios played out. I watched her care day after day, early in the morning, late at night for her mother. It's costly. Caring for someone is costly. But why do I believe as a community when we devote ourselves to Jesus, there is a call to care? Because when I look at Jesus, he describes himself as the good shepherd because he's humble. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He keeps his eye on the flock the whole time. He never takes his eye off and he cares for his flock. And it comes from this amazing scripture in verse 44 and 45, where the writer of Acts 2 writes, says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I want to just park there tonight, park the bus, handbrake up. We stop there. First thing that I love about the scripture, and says they devoted themselves, and we saw the impact, but it says they were together. Hi, boy. They were together. Part of devoting ourselves is being together. Coming together, not just on a Sunday, but doing life together. Navigating life together. Celebrating. I mean, um, Nico has moved to, to George and is in another church, but I see him tonight. There's a joy in my heart that we're together. I have a family reunion in two weeks' time. It's my parents' 50th anniversary, and our siblings have not all been together for about a decade. We've been together on Skype, when Skype was a thing, and then Zoom came in, and then FaceTime. We've been together in conversations, but there's something different about being in the presence of each other. There's something different about being together. This community says they were together. They spent time and they, all the believers were together. They loved being together. Why? Because at the center of the get-togetherness of the believers is Jesus. When we have fellowship, we have, it's two fellows in one ship. I'm a simple oak. That's simple language to me. It's two fellows in one ship. The ship is Jesus. It's his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for you and I so we can gather. Secondly, it says they had everything in common. It's a tough thing, eh? We have 12 different languages. We have demographics of economic realities in our nation that go from complete chaos to complete indulgence. And, and you know the challenges. And then you'd, I believe the perfect picture of the church is where billionaires and people who are struggling to serve the streets can sit side by side, sit next to each other and learn from each other and be friends. Why? Because we have Jesus and we have the number one thing in common that we're going to have an eternity in the same place, worshiping the same king. And it's at the same cross that we receive the same grace and the grace of God invades and he breaks down all the walls. He says, actually, you've got everything in common. Why? Because of Jesus. Now I know that I'm idealistic in that, and I know, but I've got to look at Jesus and say, this community had everything in common. And I'm so grateful as I look back at my story, part of my story are older men who invested and people who invest in my life, even though we had nothing in common. Nothing. 
There was a stage in my life, my world fell apart, my parents got liquidated, I, I, I had nothing. I used to pitch up at my mate's houses at six o'clock and I'd say, what are you doing? Oh, you're eating dinner, that's awesome. Because I had no family, no money, no future, life was pretty tough. But there was a group of guys who became my life group, and one of them's name was Rick Thompson. And Rick Thompson was my first life group leader. And Rick was six or seven years ahead of me. He was a clever man. He'd been a graduate at Toyota. He drove fancy RSI cars that I thought were the coolest thing in the world at the time. And um, But he, he had motorbikes. He had a motorbike. And then there was another mate named Daryl Jorgensen, who was also 26, 27, six foot two. The lady loved him. He had everything. I was like, I just want to be like these guys. Not because the ladies loved him. Well, obviously, a little bit. And... Um, that there was another mate who was also 1920. His name was Mark Sturton, and he arrived at the church. He had no friends. And these two older guys with another guy named Clive Jardine, all the same kind of age, took interest in these young 19, 20-year-olds. We had nothing in common. We could never afford to go to the places they could afford to go, so they would pay for us. Then their hobby was motorbiking, so, and everything inside of us wanted to go, but I couldn't afford a motorbike. You know what they did? They bought a new motorbike. They kept the old one so that we could come with. Both Daryl and Rick went on four motorbike trips with these guys and they kept their motorbike so that we could come with. They fueled them up. They serviced them. I'm just telling you not to boast. I'm telling you that actually it's not about what we have in common. It's about who we have in common. And he pulls out stories. If we'll open up our hearts, you'll find your life will open up to people you never expected. People who can give you nothing. Now years later, Things have changed. But there's reality of relationship. And there's fruit. Because men and women who had nothing in common on a natural term had everything in common in Jesus. Decided to do life together. And I think this church got it right because they jumped into that straight away. And then it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Yeah, this is tough. In a local church, in Tableview, let me be real. At the end of every month, there are three, four, five families that are struggling to pay their rent or struggling to feed their kids. Probably 50. Every month. It's difficult. It's a challenge. See the... When the gospel gets into our story and gets a hold of our hearts and gets a hold of our wallets and gets a hold of the treasures that we hold on to and we start finding ourselves becoming like Jesus, wanting to jump into situations that don't make sense and we could potentially get damaged and hurt, things change. Atmospheres change. The heaven starts breaking into earth. Jesus starts getting revealed. People start wanting him. I want to tell you two stories of generosity that I've received. I'm, I'm telling my testimony. Because people look at pastors and think, well, you, someone gave you the right to preach of this. You must have a whole bunch of stuff together. And there were a whole bunch of times in my life I had nothing together. But I've received from people. One of them is a man named Becky Kele. And I've, I've known this man for years. I've told the story here before. But at a birthday party, he was working at a, at a company that made cakes. And I knew at the time, Becky was earning 85 rand a day. It was in 2000. And two. I know because I got him the job with a friend of mine. And one night it was my birthday party and he was late. I was like, where's Becky? You know that guy, you're getting, where is he? He said he'd be here. And he walked in about an hour and 20 minutes late. I'm like, where are you, but? But he's carrying a cake. Like, what's that? That's your birthday present. I just happened to know that's a 120 rand cake. 
that he spent a day and a half of his labor to buy me a birthday cake and he couldn't afford the taxi fare to get there to come to my birthday. I went home that night and I wept. And I looked at the leftover of this cake because everyone jumped in. I thought, God, you've got to teach me. You've you got, you got to change something because this thing defaults to this. This thing defaults to protect self. This thing defaults to protect tomorrow. But what did God do with his people in Exodus? He says, don't save up for tomorrow. Eat today. I will provide for tomorrow. And then this last week, from a totally different context, during different scenario, I've had the amazing privilege of going to the island of Mauritius. Our own Mauritians are in the crowd. And I had the privilege of going to a church led by Ron's son and, and a team there and preaching last Sunday. But but I was only there because last year in November, a friend came down to visit with his wife. We were having dinner. And at the time, my wife was really not well. And um, they came to see us minister. I ministered in January again in a church in Durban. And again, it just wasn't a good day. And Cairns came to the church. We were ministering. And by Sunday morning, she had such a migraine. She had to go sit in an office and, and lie down. And he came to me about a week later. He said, uh, you know what? We're going to Mauritius. I said, that's great for you. It's great for you. He said, we want you to come with us. See, the Bible says they shared everything they had and gave to those who were in need. Need looks different. What you don't know about is that guy's name is Mark Sturton, who when he was 19, 20 years old, arrogant to the T. I used to have to drive past the billboards because he was a Mr. Price model in all the billboards. And then he was also clever, which is irritating. We don't want clever people to be beautiful as well. That's not fair to anyone. And God throws him into my life group. I start a life group and one of the, one of the leaders in church says, you must go to Mark from Blessing's life group. I'm like, I don't even like him. But God did something in 2001. And we became mates. We became such good mates that three years later, he was my best man and I was his best man. And we made promises to journey together. And he irritated the daylights out of me. And I came from a home where parents loved each other. And I knew Jesus from this age. And he came from a home of brokenness. He knew nothing about Jesus. And uh, we navigated times when his dad got really sick and broke his back. And I would drive 20 minutes in my lunch break to visit his dad for 15 minutes, take him lunch and drive back. Because Mark couldn't get there at lunch. Day after day for about six weeks. And then there were speed bumps in marriage. And there were times where we both couldn't fall pregnant. And we prayed together. And there were times when I moved to Cape Town that he just went quiet. And in the first year I was here, he phoned twice. And I picked up the phone one day. I just said, my bud, I'm just telling you, I've been here for a year. You actually need to ship up, shape up. Because you said you're going to be my mate. So you can have those conversations with brothers. You can't have those conversations with someone who sat in front of your church for a year and you never said hi. Why am I telling you all that? Because... 18 years later, after doing life together, there's the fruit of a relationship where someone was in need, which just happened to be my wife. You know the amazing thing? We went to Mauritius, and for the first time in about 20 months, my wife didn't have a migraine for seven days. And, and uh, you know what that means? When someone loves your wife. I didn't need a trip to Mauritius. I, could, I would have taken a burger at Burger King. <laughs> I'm just being honest. But I, I want to speak this tonight just for a few more minutes about get in the herd. Does that make sense? Not at all. I'm going to explain to you. Who knows the movie Ice Age? If you've got kids 
for the last decade, you'll know Ice Age. I see that hand. And it's these guys. Maybe we could put up the picture of the Ice Age guys. It's these three characters. The Willy Mammoth is, is um, what's his name? I always forget, Manfred. The Sloth is Sid. And the, the, the saber-toothed tiger is Diego. And they go on this journey. They weren't on this journey. The world's falling apart. It's all falling apart. And the ice is melting. And they go on this journey. Then they encounter this little kid, this boy. And they've got to get him back. They say, well, we, we actually got to come together now. We're not a team, but we're going to come together to get this little kid back to his parents and to his tribe. Know the story? It's a cool story. But they have this crew that shouldn't be together. A saber-toothed tiger doesn't hang around a sloth. Actually, no one really hangs around a sloth. And then there's the mammoth. And then they go on this journey. And in the journey... The ice caps start melt, melting, and they're jumping from iceberg to iceberg. And Diego, the saber-toothed tiger, is at the back, and he jumps, and he misses it, and he's about to die. He's holding on for dear life. And the scene plays out, and the mammoth makes it a split decision, and he throws himself into potential death's way to save Diego. And then they pull each other up, and they're like breathing, processing what just happened. And then this scene plays out. Maybe we can just play the little clip, please. I want to tell you about the church that I think is the weirdest herd on this earth. Because you've got the mammoth and he's got the hair. I mean, what's with that hair? And then you've got the saber-toothed lion. He's like, he eats slots for snacks. And they come together on this mission and the one throws himself into harm's way, danger's way for the other. It's a picture of a herd. Why do I call the church a herd? Well, we've described as the bride of Christ. We've described as many things, a family, a body, a temple, a a lampstand, all descriptions of the church. And yet I think we are a herd. Why? Because the Bible says Jesus is a great shepherd. Shepherd has a flock. That's like a nice name for a bunch of dirty sheep. A flock. Another way of calling a group of sheep is a herd. I'm not an English major, Michael, but I checked. You can call a group of sheep a herd. You know what you can also call a group of sheep? A mob. A mob of sheep. Because they're just going and they're bashing into each other. And I think the church is this mob where young and old and rich and poor and black, white and everything in between and, and, and every story from brokenness to health to healing to six packs to no six packs to whatever you can throw in the mix. We come together and God says, I'm going to do something supernatural. I'm going to call it the family of Christ. I'm going to the local church and you're going to devote yourself in it. And when you devote yourself in it, on the other side of that will be supernatural glory and grace and the kingdom of God will advance. Not just in your preaching on the streets and your reading of the Bible on your own, but in your gathering, in your coming together, in your giving, in your sowing of yourself, in your giving your emotions and time to people. On the other side of all of that devotion will be something supernatural called the local church and will be the breakthrough of the kingdom of God. And you will see things that you never thought were possible. Why? Because I'm going to pull a herd together. The strangest herd you've ever seen. It's called the local church. I love the test me I heard from Janine Wesnick. Everybody, they 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 building a house which is amazing, but they were told the house will be end of June done, and the house ain't done. So they go out for a coffee or something three days before the house. They have to move out of their rental. Their house is not ready, and they got three four weeks nowhere to go. So they go to a coffee shop. Is that right? And they bump into a couple named 
Gunther and Vilma, who they don't know, are part of this life of this church and have been for years. And Gunther serves coffee at the back very often. And they start talking. Is it right if I tell a story? Start talking. You see, what Gunther and Vilma don't know is Nick's been having guys in his home for the last months on a Thursday night, just loving them, showing movies, gathering, giving people a place to, a, a place just to be, to be honest. So he's sown into community. And then they start talking, and they say, well, where are you going to move when your house is not ready? Oh, don't worry about it. We, we've got to sort. No, no. Well, why don't you come stay with us? We're going on a holiday for two weeks. You can have our house, and you can stay there, and then we'll make space in the room. They don't even know each other. But they're part of a fellowship called Jesus. They're part of a local church called Life Changes. They've sown into the same house. They don't even know it. And yet God orchestrates a moment in a coffee shop. I, I don't, God does that. That's not clever systems or structures. That's just people who give themselves. And God does stuff that only God can do. And um, I look at this story. I look at this. And, and I'm saying, God, how do you do this in the local church? Because I believe that I believe that the local church is called to be the best carers in the world. And yet I'm concerned there are many gaps. And I know there are. I know there are. There are many gaps for many different reasons. One of them is we think in you. some of you have been taught in church. That there is the shepherd, then there is another layer called the under-shepherds, and then there's the flock. I want to tell you, there's just the shepherd and the sheep. I'm a sheepy. And every leader in the life of the church are sheepies, and we just get to sheepy within the flock, and the herd, and the mob. There's not another layer. You don't get to put me in between. I'm just telling you. You have access to Jesus. And Jesus is your number one shepherd. And yes, he gives under shepherds and he gives carers and he gives mentors and he gives people who share your lives and call them. But you don't get to put me in place. Why am I saying that? I'm not trying to protect myself. I'm telling you there's some bad theology out there that some men are higher than others because they call pastors and it's the biggest road of rubbish and it's religion. Jesus said, you are my, the son of the father. You have every access to him. Why? Because of Jesus, not because of a pastor. So that has an implication on how we do family. And we want to do family well. Why? Because he is a great shepherd who is faithful to his flock and he leads us. And when I look at some of the dynamics and some of the realities of, of family, it gets difficult sometimes. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes the older people in the family need help. Last year, well, my wife needed help. So we spent all our extra finances, time and energy sending my wife to doctors and, and giving her energy. And, and I'm baking and cooking and running kids to school and putting on shoes and shorts so that... Because she needed help. And the year before it was Ben. And Ben needed help. Because Ben needed OT. And he needed all sorts of stuff to go in his life. So finances went to help Ben. To get him on his track. That's how family works sometimes. Sometimes we need help. You're going to need help. And you know when you can access it? When you're in family. And you've devoted yourself. And you've sown seed. I, I, I meet people all the time. Say I want stories like you. I want relational stories like you Mark. I want friends like you have. Well, I'll tell you about Mark Sturton who took my wife on a Mauritius. I'll tell you stories that really, really disappointed me. And I had to have a conflict conversation with him. I'll tell you stories of challenge and trial. It's costly doing relationships. It's going to cost you. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's easy, that it's all rosy. Why? Because I know, and you've heard me preach it, people don't arrive at church like Woolworths Chickens, all perfect ready to be plucked. No, they come with all sorts of stuff, and so do I sometimes. And God says, I'm going to put you all together, and I'm going to do something supernatural. 
that the world will look to and they'll say in wonder, awe and wonder. And sometimes you're going to go and tell and sometimes they're going to come and see the supernatural breaking in of God in a community who get over the walls and the dividing walls that the world struggle with, but they come into community and the life of God comes where old and young and all sorts can come together. And like Nehemiah building a wall next to him and next to him and next to him, Nehemiah chapter 3, they build the walls up and they're standing together. There's a next to him dynamic in each and every one of our lives. And it is not a weird dependency or some guy on a pulpit. It is a real relationship reality within a community. I love, can I have one of those divided books? I love the fact that almost every one of those testimonies, I've hardly been involved. I'm just being honest. I love it. I, I, it's okay. I, 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 I look at all these testimonies and I, I sat down and Michael sent me a proofread and I had to proofread it. I had to read it from start to finish. I just wept like a baby. I wept like a baby because these are spectacular. But this isn't my doing. It's like, oh, I'm just telling you because I'm trying to break something down that's unhelpful. And I want to build up that you have access to Jesus, the great shepherd, and as a community together, we will be good carers. We are all pastors. We are priesthood of whole believers. We need people. There are better marriage counselors in this church, way better than me. There are buried addiction and people who can help through addiction. There are others who can step in. There are guys who really don't want to sit and listen to your deep down issues, but they really do want to sit with you and hear the brokenness of your financial situation and they can speak life into it and government and the Bible into it and bring you to freedom. Why? Because it's called the family of God and we play different roles. And then we get, we allow ourselves to be led in these ways. And so why am I saying all this? Because I want to tell you, as a community, there's the promise at the end of Psalm 23 of following the shepherd. There's this promise that says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This is David writing. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want the blessings and the promises that lie over God's people when they devote themselves to something called community. This is not a church growth strategy. This doesn't grow the church. Come and devote yourself to a family. That doesn't grow the church. You know what it does? It brings health to us. It reminds us that this is a costly story, but on the other side of that sowing, there will be a reaping because our God is an economics of sowing and reaping, not giving and taking. And he calls us into his story. We don't get to determine. I'll have a little bit of church with the side of good worship and a really great coffee. And if none of those threes align and they don't come in the right order, I'm out of here. I'm sorry, sir or ma'am. Maybe that's your perspective of community and perspective of Jesus. It's got to mature into one that says, actually, I'm going to plant myself in the house of the Lord and I will flourish because that's the Bible. The first one's not. Some of you are looking like, oh, he's getting cross. I'm not cross at all. I've had a week in Mauritius. And, um, <laughs> but I want to just present to you because we've been working really hard behind the scenes for about 18 months saying, how do we do this well as a community? How do we care well for community in a growing community of four different congregations, only two full-time pastors? How do we do that? Because if it lands, if it, if it all has to be on the pastors, we're always going to under-deliver. And I don't think we have to when we understand that God has given a priesthood of all believers. There are gifts lying dormant within yourself. There are stories. There are people who have navigated through divorces and found freedom and life of Jesus on the other side of major trauma that need to be released to bring freedom and life to others. 
There are people who've been through liquidation and sequestration and tough financial times who found faith in those times to trust Jesus for a future. And now they're living in a future and they need to sow the seed that they receive because fruit on a tree is for the next generation and the next person is going to be free. Fruit on the tree is not just to be eaten. It's not really fruit unless there's future life. And so we have, a, I want to, we are releasing a pastoral care team and we saying, be a, become a part of it, but also understand that this is how we're going to do care well. Cause we are under delivering at times and we want to navigate it well. So part of it is this pastoral care team is a number of things. And maybe we can pop up the first slide, please. I think I've broken this. It's okay. And, um, it's gospel centered, meaning we want to keep calling people to Jesus. This is not about care, as in, I'm going to listen to your story for 16 hours. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going to listen and me listening. No, we're going to keep calling you to Jesus. Part of the pastoral care is, this is what Jesus says. You choose Jesus, his life comes. You don't choose Jesus, his life doesn't come. It's quite simple. That's why you say, I don't always make the best counselor. I'm like, so Jesus says, but just do that. And so we need other people who have different approaches. Disciples of process. We're saying actually part of the healing is we want to take people on a disciples of process to become like Jesus. Jesus takes these 12 dudes, says, you're going to be my disciples. We're going to walk. We're going to do time together. We're going to do ups and downs and dirt roads and rain and sunshine in the works. We're going to walk through those things. And on the walk, you're going to become mighty men of God. And they're going, what? No, it's called discipleship. We want to disciple people in real ways and take them on ways. We want to, it's a conduit, meaning a conduit to life. It's just a system. It's just something of a system. We, and when we were just Candace and I, life was so good. It was easy. You didn't have to plan for meals. You could just navigate. And if you need to go out, well, two people's almost cheaper sometimes to go out than to cook food and blah. It's easy. Then they get three wildlings who arrive called Ben, Judah, and Daniel. And they consume a lot. And you've got to plan because this one don't like broccoli and cauliflower and this one loves it, but he doesn't do milk. And this guy's not lucky on peanuts. So it's like, ah, you've got to plan life. When your family grows, you've got to plan. We need a plan and we need a strategy. We're just trying to create a system of life for our family. And so we navigate in this. Plus it facilitates healthy life, family life. God says, actually, what I'm going to do, I'm planning on earth, I'm going to put a family and then I'm going to grow another family. And then Jesus comes and dies. What did he say? I'm going to grow another family. It's called the local church. And I, I want that family to thrive. I want them to be healthy. I want people to come into that environment. And because of the environment and the Jesus focus, I'm going to plant the broken in their midst. But within them, the broken are going to stand tall and become strong pillars and proclaimers of the gospel. It carries on. And, and the next one, please. What it's not. Well, it's not a, the next slide. It says, it's not a rehab or a counseling center. We aren't trying to take over someone else what they're doing well. We want to partner with them. So we're partnering with rehabs. We're partnering with counseling centers who have specific skills and have experience in areas that we don't have. We're not trying to become an all-answer. It's not a sideshow to church, meaning please don't think you can come and bypass community and receive care. Care is going to happen within community, within life, within relationships. Because I know that I know that I've seen people set free, but when they don't walk together, there's brokenness on the outside of that story. When there's not brothers and sisters, it's not for everyone. What do I mean? Well, the reality is that there are avenues that we're going to focus on, and there's going to be areas God has called us to. I'll show you what some of those areas are now. But there might be, we need partnerships outside again. People are doing amazing things. There's uh, amazing, right here, there's a hope house. 
that are operating, they have 60 or 70 volunteers who are trained counselors, most of whom are, all of whom are mostly volunteers and a few specifics. And we're saying we're going to partner with them to facilitate different life and release life for trauma counseling and all sorts of stuff. Not built in around an individual. A couple of other things. One more slide, please. Some of the ministry areas, number one and the biggest one, it should be a big circle, is general care. The problem is when you have life for church, you have one or two really good pastors or counselors. Everyone thinks they've got to be with them. I'm telling you, general care is life within community. It's, it's, it's simple, basic Bible sometimes, often. Yeah. Most of the time. Most of the time, marriage problems, no, submit yourself to Jesus. His ways, read Philippians 2 about what it is, and do that. And I promise you, marriage becomes simple when you humble yourself, when you take on the same attitude of Christ, when you consider yourself not better than other people. And you do that stuff, life starts to flow. And freedom ministry is a ministry we've had for ages. It's an inner healing ministry. It's, it goes through a process, but it's a deeper process. It's not for everyone. And we want to facilitate the right people to the right ministries. Addiction, we have people within our community who have experience and have fruit in that area. We want to see God use us in there because that's a brokenness in our area. Marriage and um, healing. God's called us to see, who wants to see the sick healed? I, I believe Jesus heals the sick. I really do. I believe it. Which means as a community, we've got to go after it. Which means some of you have got to become part of our teams that we train, we do good theology, we trust Jesus, we have faith, and we pray together. And we ask God to have moments where maybe once a month we start having moments where we can pray for the sick. Not as projects, but as believers. And God's want to do the stuff with us. And then lastly, financial health. These are just areas we feel in our community we need to see life that actually God wants to bring health. I'm sitting with people who have little basic understanding. Often, they're earning good salaries, but they've got bad basic understanding because there was never a parental story of fruitfulness in life. And we want to say we're going to put the right people in those places to bring order in life. And so we are releasing a pastoral care team, and we want some of you to be a part of it. I want to ask a few things as I finish. So it's weird. How did you go from all that cushy stuff to launching a system? Oh, I just did. Why? Because we're a family. And sometimes you've got to do family business. You've got to understand, well, how, what's changing? See, when Cairns got sick and she couldn't drive the kids, so I had to sit my boys down and say, boys, here's what's changing. You're going to put your own dishes away every time. You're going to clean your room every morning. You're going to do things for yourself. I, Daniel, you're four years old. You'll be okay. And Judah, you're going to help him. And there's going to be a whole bunch of nights where actually mom nor I have the energy to walk upstairs and sing you a song and tell you a story. So there are going to be times you're going to take yourself to bed. And you're going to tell each other stories and you're going to go to bed like good boys. Why? Because our family demands it at this time. And so we need life to flow. And I'm going to ask a couple of things. Number one, maybe listening to preaching, that's all so foreign to me. I want to ask you, get in a herd. It's smelly. It's messy. Sometimes the person in front of you does things that shouldn't, no one should ever experience. Smelly sheep. And it's close and they're messy. And no, that's what it's called. It's called community. It's not a Facebook community where it's people, when all goes wrong, unless you're hopeless, hopeless on Facebook and someone says praying for you. Now, I want more than just someone poking me on Facebook or saying prayer. I want to get in someone's world and say, I need you to hold my arms up because I'm really weak right now. I need you to challenge me. About two years ago, Mr. Gabe Phillips came up to me. Or 63 kgs of passion. And, and he came up to me and said, and Gabe, Gabe lines up meetings. So it's like, I know point one is not really important. Number two is 
more important. Number three is really important. Because life is preaching, there are three points. But the third point's the real one. And as he gets to the third point, he gets more red and more passionate. And then I can say, Gabe, get to the point. See, the way he spoke to Candace yesterday, after a staff meeting, you were harsh with her. What's wrong? I'm not proud of it, but I'm very grateful for it. And you need people in your life like that too. All of us need people in our lives like that. They can save us a lot of pain in the heartache and make us more like Jesus. Number two, devote yourself to community. Find safety, security, and healing in community. And number three, become a carer. Don't wait for a pastoral care role or a position. Become a carer. Start loving people. Start loving people. Sharon, my neighbor, who's not here tonight, knows that my wife's away. I get a phone call. She says, I think you're getting home now from church. Do you want to come for lunch? You don't have to stay. I literally ate and left. Why? Because we, we're together. Do that for others. It's not the privileged few. I promise you, so into community, you will reap a harvest you never thought possible. Don't sow into meetings. Sow into community. Sow into devotion. So, and become someone who can stand in some of those boxes and say, actually, I actually can help a trauma person. I actually could help someone who's gone through a divorce and encourage them. I might not have all the answers, but I can help them. I can help young marrieds. We can, we've got some experience, some, some battle scars, but some experience. We can help people. Well, come and talk to us. Come and share with us. And the way that we'll do this, just a slide, I'll be one minute, is this will be facilitated. And I realize it seems quite corporate to our foreign nature, but the reality is most people think that when they see me on a Sunday, I have to be there, everything answer, and it becomes a problem. It limits, and I start under-delivering and over-promising, and I don't like living there. So we've put on our website and, and our iPads and whatever. People can go online, access pastoral care on the left there. It'll take them to a page where they can go on. And we've just asked for a form, simple form, but it gives us enough information for us to be able to facilitate the right flow of those people. What do I mean? Well, it gives us enough information of this situation, and our promise to them is we'll get back to them within 72 hours that we'll have a plan after that time. We'll come back to them and say, this is the right person for you to meet. This is the next process for you. It might be go to a life group and have a conversation with this person or go to that life group. It might be go to a freedom ministry time with some individuals and it's only available in two weeks' time. It might be actually someone can meet you today, just depending on the scenario. But we're trying to facilitate life, which requires wisdom. And we've been working on a long process we want to love people and we want to care for them well. But if it keeps landing on the few, this thing will crumble. The church is not built on the gifting of the few. It's built on the sacrifice of the many. And the seeing of Jesus and the gifts of the many rising up. And we want to release that. But can I pray for us tonight? Is that a right time? It's a little bit longer. I want to work and, and I want to celebrate what God is doing with us as community. But I want to speak to my heart into your heart tonight. Maybe even the word family is a disappointing word for you with negative emotions. I want to tell you God wants to restore that picture and reveal to you the family that He's building. Maybe devotion has hurt you, misplaced trust has bit you back. Allow Jesus to bring healing and wholeness. Why? So that you can lead us, that you can care for others. That you can sow and reap in something called the church. He's called out once 
I pray, Jesus, make the default of our heart different to the world, where the, my heart would default to smallness. Make it bigger, God. Where my whole defaults to remembering the pain of the past, make it see the potential of the future and sowing seed for your kingdom. Where my heart defaults to stinginess, God, will you make my heart default to generosity again? With my time, my energy, and my resources, I pray, Jesus, as we sing the song so freely, I pray, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let us encounter the good shepherd and realize he's called us to be a part of his story, to see healing and wholeness come to the nations of this world. Lead us up, King. Amen.